Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. And we pray you'd give us new life. Because that's what resurrection is. It's new life. God, I pray for those in this room that perhaps may feel dead inside, may feel far from you. God, I pray this Easter weekend, Lord, this Easter week, that they would know, they would understand that the creators of the heavens and the universe loves them, died for them, but did not just leave them in that, but also rose from the dead. Lord, I pray that we would understand that resurrection is our only hope. God, thank you that death could not hold you. Thank you that this world could not contain you. And I pray, God, that we would not try to hold or contain you instead, but instead we would try to share and to live and let our light shine as bright as we can. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been uh, working through a series called Echoes of Easter. And we're going to wrap it up this morning, um, obviously. And uh, this morning we're, lock, we're going to look at Echoes of Hope. But let's, uh, let's recap to talk about where we've been. Um, throughout this series, we've been kind of looking at the major events of the Easter week. And we've been trying to hopefully look at them through fresh eyes. Because honestly, that's the issue, right? It's Christmas and Easter and the Bible can be so repetitive. And it's like, is there anything new there? Do I know anything different? Is there something I can kind of glean from it? And I'm hoping from the series that um, some of you have been kind of looking at this, the Easter week in a different way and in, in, in a new light. We looked at the triumphal entry, which is the proclamation of Jesus the King. We looked at the Last Supper, which was new, the new covenant. We looked at the Mount of Olives when Jesus teaches us how to suffer. And we looked at how all of this came together in the cross. Um, on Friday, we looked at the passage of scripture from Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 to 50. It says this, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We looked at this and we tried to, I tried as much as possible to shed this in a different light. We looked, traditionally, this has been the, the this, this cry, what the cry of abandonment. We've been taught through tradition that this is when God turns his back on Jesus, when God abandons Jesus. And I said to you on Friday that that actually did not happen, that God did not turn his back on Jesus, that what Jesus was doing was praying. Remember, we said three in the afternoon. The reason the writer adds three in the afternoon, because we know that the Jewish temple, that that was a time of prayer. We looked at Acts chapter three, when Peter is going up to the temple at the time of prayer. So at three in the afternoon, Jesus is praying. And as tradition for the Hebrews, they prayed through the Psalms. And Jesus is praying through Psalm 22. And the reason that's important is because Psalm 22 was written by King David. It was a prophetic Psalm looking into the future about the Messiah. And we walked through different verses about how his crucifixion, remember we looked at how David wrote that my hands and my feet were pierced. We know that that never happened to David. We know that David is seeing ahead into the future. We talked about how David talked about um, her garments being uh, cast by lots, people mocking. All these things came true. But the thing with Psalm 22 is Jesus is putting us to Psalm 22 because it parallels the first 18 verses as a lament. It parallels what's happening to Jesus on the cross. But the problem can be is you got to read the rest of the chapter because the rest of the chapter shows what God does next. And what God does next is he does not turn his back. Um, we looked at verse 22 
of, uh, of Psalm, sorry, verse 24 of Psalm 22, because it says this, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. All of a sudden, when you understand what happens on the cross is Jesus fulfilling the covenant that God made with himself back in Genesis chapter 15. When you understand that the cry from the cross is, why have you forsaken me? Is not Jesus saying to God, you have separated yourself from me. Because according to scriptures, Jesus is part of the Trinity. God can't do that to himself. But if you look at it and you read the rest of the chapter, you understand what Jesus is trying to say. Psalm 22 is called the Psalm of the Righteous Man. The, the, and, and so it, it, when you parallel it, when you look at it, Jesus is pointing to us for a reason. God never turned his back on Jesus. God never ab- abandoned his son on the cross, nor will God do that to us. And we uh, looked at, of course, the uh, scripture from Hebrews. And it says that um, we talked about what, what Jesus on the cross. But we do see Jesus, who is made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the piney of their salvation perfect through what he suffered both the one who makes people holy and those who are being made holy are the same family so jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters remember we looked at this a couple weeks ago suffering and glory we we love the glory part we love the victory part we love the triumph part but the bible tells us that you must suffer first you must go through uh valleys you must go through deserts before you get to the promised land so that's where we've been for the last several weeks. And that's kind of what we've been focused on. This morning, we want to kind of wrap it all up to kind of uh, talk about it in the final way. Um, in your updates, you'll have a quote from N.T. Wright. Um, N.T. Wright wrote a book called um, Rethinking Heaven, The Resurrection and the Mission of the Church. Fantastic book. I had to read it, read it about a dozen times before I actually understood it. But um, N.T. says this about the resurrection and about heaven, which is really important for us to understand. The point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building, hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needing, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making this present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. As a hymn so mistakenly puts it they are part of what we may call building for god's kingdom when we look at resurrection what you have to understand about resurrection is it is not an escape what makes christianity interesting and and brian mentioned this this morning is that the first thing that makes christianity unique is grace right every other world's religion you have to earn your salvation you have to earn what it is to be that follower of that particular religion christianity teaches that god's grace it was given to us freely it cost us nothing but it cost god everything but the secondary thing about christianity that makes it unique amongst every other religion is when you look at religions and maybe some of you mistakenly have thought this when when you die in another religion you you go in spirit form to what is next but for christianity We return in body. And that's what makes it very interesting and very unique because that's the only way you can really understand what God has in store for the future. So what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of walk through 
a little bit about the resurrection and kind of show you the theme throughout scriptures and kind of uh, give you a little bit more of an insight to it. See, Easter isn't simply about the cross. The cross is a fulfillment of the covenant God made with himself. Resurrection is about heaven and eternity. Resurrection is this idea that, that, that is vaguely painted in the Old Testament, finds its, 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 its sharp contrast in the New Testament, but when you look at the early church writings, it was the hope of the future. Now, what's interesting as well is that resurrection is a promise for us. Every one of us in this room has been touched by death. Death of a loved one, death of someone close to us. We've been touched by sickness. We've been touched by our bodies breaking down. That is the hope of resurrection, is that everything that we struggle with, all the pain, the suffering, the sorrow, and death is finally put away for eternity. And resurrection is the hope. See, it's interesting when we think about the cross, we think about Good Friday, and Jesus dying on the cross, we call that hope. I would actually want to say to you that that's actually not hope. Hope is Easter Sunday, is resurrection. See, Good Friday was necessary for the resurrection. The two go hand in hand. You can't separate one from the other. And so the, the, the Good Friday, the Jesus' death on the cross, was a payment that was made, was, 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 was a fulfillment of a covenant. But Easter Sunday, the resurrection, is the hope of the future. When you look throughout the Bible, when you look through um, uh, in the Old Testament there, what you find is that resurrection is one of the oldest promises. Now, we know the book of Job. The book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Now, now you say, no, I thought Genesis was. We know that Job was written probably between uh, Genesis chapters uh, 4 and 5, that, that Job was in that part there. We know that because of the language and some of the acts that Job did there. So, Job actually... Is, is the oldest book apart from the first uh, four or five chapters of the book of Genesis. Now, the reason I'm saying that to you, in the book of Job, um, the resurrection is talked about. Remember this uh, uh, quote when Job is talking about his suffering? In Job chapter 19, verse 25 to 27, he says this, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I will see for myself, with whom and whom in my own eyes will behold, and not another. In one of the oldest books of the Bible, this idea of resurrection, Job is saying something. Remember, Job is this poor guy that has suffered for nothing that he did for himself. But in the midst of the suffering, what's Job's hope? Resurrection. And look what uh, the book of Daniel says, the, the, again, the prophet Daniel. But you should go your way until the end. You will rest. And then at the end of days, you will arise to receive what has been allotted. Even in the book of Daniel, you see this idea of resurrection. That in the Old Testament, it's there, but it's not as, uh, it's not as clear. But throughout, the, there's, a, there's a repetitive theme of, of death not being the last word. We live in a constant fear of death. We live in a constant fear of sickness. And throughout the Old Testament, that was true even more so. You know, with their lack of medicine, their lack of understanding of, of, of the body, right? You know, a, a cut could cause your death in the Old Testament, right? So death was very per- pervasive. It was very much next to them in their every thought. Resurrection was the hope of defeating death. 
resurrection was the hope of saying, yes, I feel this now. Yes, I don't know how much, much longer I have, but I will have a resurrection. I will experience what this is. Now, what you need to understand about the importance of the resurrection. We talk, if I was to ask you, what is the gospel? What is the gospel to you? You would say something like this. Most of you, I think, would say something like this. That Jesus came, he died on the cross for my sins. Right? The word gospel is good news. The problem with our typical description of the gospel, yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But the good news, that's not the good news of the gospel. Now, look at something here. When Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, he does something, right? He, t- he talks about the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word, or the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So what, what's Paul doing? Right? Paul is wrapping up his first letter to the church in Corinth, and he uses these words. This is the gospel. Okay? This gospel I preach to you. Now, he goes on then in the next few verses to show us what that gospel is. Now, look what he says about what the gospel is. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. When Paul describes the gospel, resurrection is a part of his understanding of the gospel. And look what he says in verses 13 and 14. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. We come to Good Friday and we go, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And we all go, Amen. But that is not the full gospel. Because the full gospel is that Jesus rose from the grave. That Jesus was what the Bible calls the first fruits of resurrection. That what Jesus experienced, we will all experience. And as we'll see in a moment, every human being that has ever lived will experience as well too. So when we look at resurrection, what you need to understand, it is the very fundamental of what we believe. Sometimes we don't think of it that way. Sometimes we, we think of Easter Sunday as, you know, this is great and all that. But Good Friday, that's the emotional component. And that's true. But how much more emotional is it for the disciples to see the risen Savior, to see the risen Jesus? Now look at, look at how Jesus teaches on the resurrection as well. In Matthew 22, again, Matthew 22, Jesus is again towards the end of his ministry. Look what he says. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Stop there for a second. Whenever Jesus says something like that, what he's trying to say to you is that you've read the Bible, but you don't get it. You think you know God, but you don't understand his power. And that statement, I think, can be made of of all of us at some point in time, that we think we know the Bible, we think we understand the power of God, but Paul says, uh, Jesus is saying, you don't quite get it. Look what he goes on to say. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus is trying to help uh, the people understand something very important. That resurrection is key to understanding God's plan for creation. See, in the garden, God walked with Adam and Eve, but he walked with them in the flesh. 
when the fall came, when Adam and Eve decided to go a different direction from God, God enacted the plan of salvation, which has taken thousands of years to unfold. But at the very end of time, God says that resurrection is key to understanding salvation. That what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, that we too will experience as well. Look what look we also learn about resurrection from Jesus in Luke chapter 14. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So resurrection is, is what we do now means something in the future. It echoes into the future. How we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves, how we use our resources, how we have compassion and mercy upon people. That will find its fulfillment in the resurrection. Look at John chapter uh, 11. Martha answered. Oh, by the way, Martha Right? Remember it's Mary who got Jesus? Remember it's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet? Remember it's Mary that is, is trying to learn from the Messiah? And Martha comes along, you know, and says, hey, Jesus, can Mary help me on the kitchen? Right? And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, Mary's chosen a better way. But at this particular moment, Martha finally gets it. There's, there's a switch that is flipped in Martha's heart and mind, and she finally gets it. Remember, Jesus is coming to Lazarus, her brother's funeral, right? Jesus never understood the, 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 the purpose of a funeral. It's to mourn, but Jesus is like, don't mourn, because this is not the final say. Death does not have the final say, not only in this circumstance, but in the future. Now look at this. Martha answered, I know he will rise again. She's referring to Lazarus in the resurrection at the last days. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus is trying to teach Martha, Martha something very important. But I think Christians today have forgotten this as well. We're so busy accumulating stuff and things and we, we live in this world and we think that's all that there is. And Jesus' words to us today is, do you know, do you not understand that this life that you are living is fragile? You have no idea how many days you have on this planet. But the good news is, this is not the last word. Death does not have the final say in what God wants for you. So Jesus talks about the resurrection repeatedly over and over again. But not only does he talk about it, he actually models it for us, right? What you need to understand about Jesus' resurrection is Jesus' resurrected body is the hint of heaven. Jesus came back, not as Casper the friendly Jesus, but Jesus came back. And for those of you who actually watch cartoons, you'll get that, right? Who's Casper? Is that another disciple? No, it's not, right? Jesus did not come in spirit form. He came back in the flesh. And the Bible gives us a very clear picture of what Jesus came back at. Look at Luke chapter 24. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. In verse 41, 43, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Just imagine this, right? The disciples are over the top excited that Jesus is here, but they still think he's a spirit. They don't understand the resurrection. He's like, fine, do you have a chicken wing here? Um, do you have something to eat here? And Jesus takes a piece of fish and eats it in front of them. He says, why? A ghost does not eat. 
right? He's trying to help them understand that whatever he's experienced, they will experience. But it's not just this ethereal, floating in the clouds, harp, uh, you know, robe, that type of a thing there. That's not what resurrection is. That's not what heaven is as well, too. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Whatever you think about heaven, you have to understand, you can only experience heaven in the flesh. You will not float like a ghost, like a cloud. You will experience, you will eat, you will, you will, you will, you will hug, you will, ex- you will learn. Like, it's just our, our small group on uh, Tuesday, we, all, we went off on a tangent about talking about heaven. And what's amazing to me is we don't understand what heaven is going to be like. But whatever it's going to be like, you will touch it. You will feel it. It's not something that you will pass through. It's not this, this ethereal thing that we think about. Instead, heaven will be a tactile experience. And, I, and, and that excites me because the idea of heaven beforehand seemed, seemed kind of boring to me. You know, the pictures I saw of heaven, of, of floating on a cloud with a harp. I don't even know how to play the harp. And, you know, it's like, well, that's, that's what I get to do for eternity? Really? Okay, I guess it's better than being fried, but not much really, right? And of course, we're thinking to ourselves, what is it? But what if eternity looked like you experiencing all of creation, the entire universe, the entire universe reformed, right? The Bible says at the end of time, heavens and earth will disappear and the new heaven and the new earth will be made. Imagine a universe full of planets like earth of different types. You get to experience creation with your creator as he intended it all along at the beginning. Jesus came back in a resurrected body, in a flesh and blood body. Why? Because that's how we experience heaven. Another thing you have to understand about uh, the resurrection, and this one may surprise you a little bit, is everyone will experience, whether you are a Christ follower or not, you will experience the resurrection. Now, of course, the next question is, you know, um, did Rob Bell write your sermon? Like, what's going on here, right? What you need to understand is eternity will be experienced by everyone in the flesh. The choice you make right now is how you experience eternity. Look what John chapter 5, verse 20 to 29. Jesus is teaching again on this. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear a voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Just like heaven is experienced in the flesh, so will it hell be experienced in the flesh. So resurrection is the promise for everyone. How what we do right now is 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 it, what we the choices we make right now determine that. And for those of you who have uh, know my 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 thoughts on this, hear me very clearly. God does not send us anywhere. Okay. When you stand before God, it is not a surprise of of where you'll be spending eternity. Why? Because the decision's made right now, right now. When we stand before God, God will say, as you have decided, so will you live. If you decide to follow after Jesus and and the good times and the bad times and pressing into him, that's your, your, your choice for eternity. If you decide to live your life apart from God, apart from what he wants for you, apart from this will for you, that's how you will spend eternity. Both will be experienced in the flesh. Next thing you need to understand about the resurrection is the believer will experience it first in two phases. 
In 1 Thessalonians, we see what's going to happen, right, about the resurrection. According to the Lord's word, we tell you and that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I love how Paul put that in there. This is encouraging, right? So what you need to understand about the resurrection, those who have passed on, those who are Christ followers who have passed on, they will experience resurrection first. They will experience it first. But those of us who are here, who are living, whenever Jesus returns, and again, I don't know when that is. I'm hoping it's this year, but I'm not quite sure, right? If we are still alive, we will be transformed instantaneously, and we will join Jesus as well, too. So resurrection is experienced by the believer in two phases. Let me kind of wrap things up here with where, where I really want to go with this. I've given you an overview of resurrection. I'm hoping to show you in the Old Testament, in Jesus' teaching, and in the gospel, resurrection is pivotal to what the plan and the purpose is for God. But let me show you something here. If the wages of sin is death, then the resurrection is the breaking of the cycle of death. And look, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things passed away. Why is this important? Because every time there's an earthquake or a tsunami or someone gets sick or, or, or there's an accident where someone's life is taken from them, every time we experience pain and suffering and death, we are living in the old order of things. The world that we live in is infected and affected by sin. And because of that, we experience it every day. You woke up this morning and some of you are like, you know, it's like too early. And some of you may not be feeling great right now and you're infecting people around you, but you don't know what it is, right? Whatever that is, right? You experience suffering. You experience sickness. You experience all of that. That is the, the, the repercussions of sin. There's going to come a day when all of that is gone. Where People who suffer from sickness and disease and, and brokenness and people who suffer from different ailments, whatever it be physical, people who suffer from being alone. I, I, one of the uh, one uh, psychologist I was reading um, uh, a couple weeks back said that the greatest disease right now in North America is loneliness. That people feel alone. They feel that they are, even in a group like this, they can still feel alone. Resurrection is a promise of community. Promise of being with brothers and sisters you've never met before. But, but they will love you. Imagine being in a relationship with someone, knowing and talking to them. But there's no ego, no agenda. No, what's in it for me? But just the peace and the security of knowing that they are children of Christ. That's what the resurrection is. It's the breaking of the cycle. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Every day you work, you earn, you earn death by what you do. Resurrection is a promise of breaking of that cycle. The resurrection is the answer to the question about life. Death has haunted us cursed us and touched each of our lives. The resurrection is a hope, the promise of death finally being defeated. And I don't know about you, 
but resurrection is the best word we have in our vocabulary. Because whenever I feel down, whenever I feel attacked, whenever I feel sick, I just whisper resurrection. I literally do this. I'm weird that way. I know. But that's my hope. My hope is not on what I can do right now. This is not my hope. You know why? Because my hope will always fumble and fail because I'm human. I'm in the old system. I'm in the old order of things. I fall. I fail. I sin. But in resurrection, I will finally experience what God wants for me. In resurrection, I will finally experience the life that God's always wanted for me. I won't sin anymore. I won't fall. I won't be sick anymore. I'll, I'll meet my mother who has gone before me. I'll meet others who have gone before me in heaven. I will finally get to experience that once again. Why? That's the hope of resurrection. That's the hope of the gospel. That is what every Christ follower needs to remind themselves every day. You struggle with something, relationships, school, friends, finances, your body, whisper resurrection. Because one day that will all be gone and it will be, it will be transformed. In closing, I want to share uh, a passage scripture from Philippians. Philippians 3, 7 to 9 says this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now look what Paul is saying here. Every accomplishment, everything that you've ever done, it's garbage. It's garbage. The biggest house, the nicest car, the best clothes, the most friends, the most likes on Facebook, all of this is garbage next to the, the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. Because now look what he says in verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, everything that I've done, everything that I've accomplished is garbage next to knowing Jesus. The greatest accomplishment in my entire life, Paul says, is Jesus. That he found me on the road. That he he had mercy upon me. I who persecuted the church. And remember, Paul was an important individual. He was a powerful individual. And he says that in everything that he's done up in that moment in time, it's garbage. Sometimes we think of our accomplishments and we can get a little proud. A little, <laughs> look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at how much I'm getting paid at my job. Look at all these things that I've accomplished. Look at the things I own. And Paul echoes through thousands of years and says, it's garbage. It's garbage. Next to knowing Jesus because if you know Jesus then you will know and experience the resurrection I want to know yes to know the power of the resurrection and the participation in sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead your life it's yours it's your choice How you live it, how you choose to do it, what you choose to do with your resources, what you choose to do with your time, what you choose to do with your thought life, what you choose to do with every action. It's yours. It's yours. No excuses. It's yours. Every day you wake up, it's yours to decide how you want to spend that day. 
And yes, I understand that many of us, we experience things that others have done to us. I know that. But remember we talked about suffering, we looked at Viktor Frankl, and he said that in suffering we have a choice, and the choice is how we respond to that suffering. That may be the only thing that we have, the only thing that we control in suffering. In suffering, you do not control the outcome. In suffering, you don't control how bad things get. In suffering, you don't even know how much longer it's going to last. The only thing you choose in suffering is how you respond to it. How we choose to respond to Jesus, how we choose to respond to God, that's up to us. That's our choice. But the great thing is that if we choose to follow Jesus, and again, I don't mean choose to follow Jesus in perfection. Because every time I say that, somebody's in their head going, well, I'm a sinner. I don't know if, I, if, I, if, I, if, if God can love me. And, and again, the list goes on and on and on and on. Easter, Jesus, he didn't call you into perfection. He called you into relationship. And every relationship has its ups and downs. Every relationship has disappointments. Every relationship is, is, is you don't quite know. But one day, in the resurrection, every question you have will be answered. Every pain that you ever suffered will be gone. And, and you will experience life as God fully intended it. In the flesh, with your resurrected body, surrounded by people who love you, in front of your creator. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. I do this every week. And I do this just simply to give you an opportunity. The opportunity just is for you to think, to meditate. How are you living your life right now? For yourself? For God? It's really only two choices. It's not about being a good person, bad person. It's about choosing God. Easter is God showing his love for us. Easter is God showing his plan for us. And I think it'd be so appropriate to say this Easter, we renew, commit, remind ourselves that our lives are not our own, but they're God's. We remind ourselves that everything we've ever accomplished up to this point in time is garbage next to knowing Jesus. Pressing into that relationship and in not a perfection, yes, you will fall, yes, you will fumble, and absolutely you will fail. But the one does not make everything. In the quiet of this room this morning, I just ask that you ask that question. And if you need to whisper a prayer to God, saying, Lord, I have fallen, I have failed. God, it's been so long since I remembered this relationship. Then now's the time. Lord, speak to me. As Jesus cried out from the cross, as I said to you, God did not abandon him. As you call out from your seats right now, saying, Lord, I am so... Maybe it's a prayer of forgiveness. Maybe it's a prayer of recommitment. Maybe it's a prayer of, of whatever it would be. I just want to allow you to have that opportunity. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for each person here this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you be poured out upon them and that they would in their heart and their mind know that they are loved by you. God, I pray for anyone here who perhaps may 
Maybe their light isn't shining as bright as it could be. Maybe they have taken some paths, making some decisions, or maybe there's some relationships. They know, they know. They know that they are not living, choosing wisely. I pray, God, right now that they would turn back to you, that they would they would not hide. God, in our sin, it is so easy to hide. All we want to do is run away. But your word says, where can we go that you're not already there? Lord, I pray that you would, in your grace and your mercy, speak to each person here. Lift us out of the mud, out of the mire, out of the mess of our lives. And God, I pray that we not forget that this reality that we live in sometimes can be painful, sometimes can be hurtful. But I am so thankful, God, that this is not the end of the story, that there's a word called resurrection and that we will all experience it. And I pray, God, that we would experience it to live with you for all eternity. God, I thank you for this morning. I pray, God, that you would send us with your blessing. And as we gather around tables with family, with friends, I pray, Lord, that we would remind ourselves of the resurrection. Please, Lord God, continue to pursue us, chase us, speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Um, If you have any questions about anything I taught about or spoke about, I'll stay up here to talk to you. The rest of you, have a blessed day. Have a very happy Easter, and we'll see you guys next week.